The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Please remain standing then for the reading of God's Word. And turn, if you will, to John chapter 15. I'm actually going to read verses 12 to 15. John fifteen twelve to 15, and we'll use this passage as something of a springboard tonight to examine the next trait of the godly man, the godly woman, that is love. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 12, reading through to verse 15. This is God's word. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. We pray now, Lord, that you would continue to reveal your word and will unto us, that in this text and all others, we would see the dynamic and relationship of love between you and us, us and you, and between the brethren. Lord, be pleased to bless us, we pray. Put words into my mouth and put those words into all our hearts, that we might hear what your spirit has to say, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, we saw last week, I think, very helpfully how faith is the umbilical cord that unites us, the godly man, the godly woman, to Christ, Christ who is our life. You also note in that same passage where faith is really and truly present so too does love follow. First Peter 1 made that very clear. Love is a natural outpouring or product of faith. And you'll know as well as I will that Scripture is full of commands and full of motivations with respect of our love to God and our love for each other. And that's important, that our love for God will always, in a sincere Christian, produce love for the brethren. God loves us, we are to love him, and if we truly love him, we will also love our brethren. The Apostle John has much to say about love. Uh, God's love for us, our love for him, our love for each other, certainly here in chapter 15, also in chapter 14. And then if you were to flick over to his epistles, he has much to say about true, genuine Christian love. In fact, all of scripture has a tremendous amount to say about the subject of love. In short, if God has set his love upon us, we will also love him. And if we are to love God truly, we must also love each other truly. This love is a mark of a godly man or a godly woman. 
We're going to see that really in three ways tonight. Firstly, by following, if you like, the pattern of the text before us and acknowledging that the godly person is first loved by God. They are loved by God. Secondly, the godly person will then love God. And thirdly, the godly person will also then love the brethren. So loved by God, love to God, and love toward each other. The godly person, we understand, is first loved by God. That must be, it seems to me, the start of any consideration of the subject of love. It is this, God has loved his children. Notice our Lord says it here in Matthew, sorry, John fifteen twelve. You love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, or to put it in John's language in 1 John, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. The Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, so we are. There are many other scriptures which testify to the priority of God's love to his children over his children's love to him. Again, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. That's the natural and necessary priority of love. Christian love, whether it's to God or to fellow believers, is wholly predicated then upon God's love for the Christian. So much so we can say it's impossible to truly love God or love the brethren if God has not shone the light of his love and light into our lives. We love because he first loved us. We can seek to define what God's love is from Scripture. And we often focus on the products of God's love in our life. And we can say very simply, well, God loves us uh, or loved us because he saved us. Or he saved us because he loved us, either way. And and that's true, no doubt. John 3.16 says precisely that. God loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But I think that's a rather basic, though important, step in defining God's love for us because there are a multitude of passages in scripture which describe God's love to us in who he is and what he has done for us. First of all, we can say this about God's love. God's love is eternal. It is before time. In fact, we can say it is outside of time, even as God is himself outside of time we know from ephesians 1 god chose us in christ when before the foundation of the world he elected us he predestined us unto life why well jeremiah 31 3 tells us god loves us with an everlasting love an everlasting love The Puritans, when they meditated on that idea of everlasting love, were fond of saying that God's love has no end because it never had a beginning. It's eternal like God himself is. God's love is everlasting. God's love is eternal. Second, we can say that God has a love for his creation. 
It's not just a salvific love. It's a creational love. Psalm 145 verse 9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy or his steadfast love is over all he has made. There is a creational love exhibited by God, a general compassion in addition to the particular love he has for the redeemed of creation. Yes, there is a creational love. But third, we could also speak of God's love as seen in his mercy. His mercy, Psalm 103 verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Yes, God's love is very much connected to his merciful character and his acts of mercy towards us who believe. God's love is also connected to his grace. Remember, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. We deserve condemnation. Mercy takes that condemnation away. Uh, Grace is giving us what we do not deserve. We go back to 1 John 3, 1 for that again. Uh, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. We didn't deserve it. We do not deserve the adoption of sons. But this is the love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. A staggering quality of love. Love connected to grace giving us what we don't deserve. We could go on, could we not, with God's love. We could go on to describe it in this way. God who is perfect love loves his children with a perfect patience. A perfect kindness with an unconditionality, with a love which causes us to love him, a love which keeps us through all seasons and changes of life, even the change of death. That's the love of God shed abroad in our lives. That's God's love towards us. But even that does not exhaust the biblical definition of God's love, because Scripture speaks of a love which exists eternally, not from him to us, but between himself, between Father, Son, and Spirit. That eternally Father, Son, and Spirit have lived in this loving union and communion. And it's part of that communion by degree into which the Christian enters when God shows us love. Never forget what Scripture says, 1 John four sixteen. God is love. God is love. It's not that he has love or exhibits love, though he does those things. He is love. And his inter-Trinitarian relationships are an exercise of what he is, love. Father, Son, and Spirit love each other eternally and perfectly, and yet he has shone that love into the life of the Christian. He has given of himself to the Christian, to the church. That is to say, God loving us is an exercise of his own person, his own attributes, who he is, into our lives. 
a giving of himself to us, an exercise of his person, his power, his favor, his goodness, yes, his love. It's vital we understand that, friends. It's vital we start here. God is love, and God loves his children. Vital we start there, because if we start from the bottom and work up, we're going to get into a total mess as to how we should love God. It'll become vexatious to our souls, because we're not starting at the fountainhead. We're not starting at the place where we need to. In love, dear friends, God has communicated himself to you, a Christian. And the only contribution we had to that was the sin which ordinarily would mitigate against God loving us. Think on that. We played no part, no causal part whatsoever in God loving us. Friends, we love 1 John 4, 9, because he first loved us. You see, if we begin to understand more and more in a deeper, more mature sense, the love of God, that his love is wholly conditioned upon him and not us, that should produce in each one of us a greater zeal, a greater devotion, a greater love, a greater desire for communion and fellowship with the triune God. That's what should be produced in our lives. One of our great troubles, I think, as Christians, I think it's true in every age and for every Christian, is a misunderstanding of the unconditional nature of God's love for us. The unconditional nature. You see, our love is reflexive. It responds to God's love. Your love, dear friend, whether it's weak or strong, is not the cause of God loving you more or less. Some of you I know need to hear that because you've told me you need to hear it. You struggle to think that God the Father loves you. And and, and your assessment of his love for you is directly tied to your walk each day. It doesn't work like that. God loved you with an everlasting love from before the foundation of the world, before you had done good or bad. That's the message of Scripture for the Christian. The cause of God's love is what? His own character, his own love, his own initiative, his own desire. I'm not saying we don't have a part to play. You know better than that. But his love overcomes our sin. His love holds us fast through continued, present sin. Every moment, every season, every age, the love of God envelops the Christian. That's why the godly man or the godly woman or child learns more and more to love God. Why? Because of the unconditional nature of God's love for his children. Yes, God loves the godly man or woman. But the godly person also, in turn, loves God. The godly Christian ought to be one who loves 
God, we have many scriptures in, uh, which, which speak to this matter. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Let's say whole person love is, is the expectation of the godly person. Loving Father, Son, and Spirit is really at the essence of Christ, the Christian faith. To love God is first to have been loved by him. And when we think about our own love for God, we could be swift, I think, to turn to the duties which show our love for God. And even the text before us, we have this. Uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And it's undoubtedly true our Lord ties obedience and duties to love for him and love for the Father. But that's not the whole record of Scripture. That's not the whole record of Scripture. It is an indisputable and an important and essential part of Scripture to which we'll turn in a moment. But if we start thinking about our love for God in terms of what must I do to love God, as in what works must I do, I think that's a bit of a misstep. I think it's a miscalculation. I've got to be careful here because what our Lord says. But if we start at that place... I think it's a miscalculation. Now, I think what we must seek to do, rather than to be thinking, what duties must I employ in order that I might love God, is ask this question, how can I love and enjoy God for himself? For who he is. How can I enjoy God and glorify him forever? Enjoying is the language of communion, of fellowship, of union, a mutual fellowship. Listen to John chapter 14, verse 21. We read the same thing again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. There's the connection that we're going to come to in a moment. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Can you see the triangle of love there, love between Father, Son, and the Christian? Of course, the spirits, they're not mentioned explicitly, but we have there that mutuality. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Communion, vitally important to the Christian understanding what it means to love God. Why do we have communion with someone? Why do we love the people in our lives that we love? Is it only because of what they can do for us? I mean, that's what the Gentiles, that's the standard the Gentiles work by, says our Lord. Do we love God just for the things he's done for us? I hope the answer is no. Though we do love him for the things he's done for us. Or do we find in his character and in his person an attraction beyond measure? A delight to our souls. 
a satisfaction in God and in himself that nothing else can give. I say, friends, we ought to seek to fellowship with the triune God and have communion with him simply because of who he is before what he has done. It's actually the same with our human relationships, isn't it? Surely we don't love our husbands, wives, our children, our parents, whoever it might be. We, we don't love those people in our lives solely for what they can do for us. We love them because of who they are. We love them because of the relationship they have. We love them because of the character that they are and what they might do for us and what we might do for them. We have fellowship with them. We commune with them. We have union with them. We delight in them. They delight in us. Long before we do anything for each other, there is that bond of fellowship and of love. I'm saying, friends, we ought to have the same with God. Thomas Watson says, God is the fountain and quintessence of goodness. His beauty and sweetness lay constraints of love upon a gracious heart. God is the saint's portion. He's the fountain and quintessence of goodness. Everything good is found in God. Everything satisfying is found in God. There's beauty in him, just in his character. And yes, he always behaves consonant with his character, does he not? So everything he does is also fo- follows after this same pattern of who he is. Ask yourself, friends, do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy your God? Do you enjoy communion with your God? Do you enjoy fellowship with Father and Son and Holy Spirit? Because it's entirely possible uh, to come to God or your human relationships with a kind of transactional approach to life. Well, God has done this for me, so I'll do this for him. It's like a business deal, isn't it? I mean, that's not fellowship. That's not communion. I do this, he does that. If that's the substance of our relationship with God, that's a poor relationship with God. There's no closeness there. There's no enjoyment of the person, not what the person can do. Do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy God when you're listening to or reading his word? Are you enjoying God speaking to you in that moment? Are you enjoying God when you're speaking back to him in prayer? We've got a father above all fathers. One who speaks to us with greater wisdom and righteousness. One who hears us with greater clarity and sensitivity. Whose company is more upright than any other. He's the fountainhead of blessing. There's no evil or unreliability in him. Why would we not enjoy him? He's wholly enjoyable in a theological sense. Wholly satisfactory. Why would we not enjoy him? 
He calls us into that kind of relationship to glorify and enjoy him forever. I say, friends, we ought to love God for who he is before what he does. It's possible to tend to all our duties, of which there are many, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. It's possible to tend to all our duties without this closeness of love and fellowship. Think, how often do our prayer lives resort to a thanking God for what he's given us or asking God for what we need? You look at the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, look at the pattern of most of the Psalms, you'll find that's not the pattern they follow. The pattern they follow is an enjoyment and praise of God for who he is. A wonderful, mighty, loving, gracious, kind, patient, preserving God. Praise for him for who he is. How often do we meditate upon God, upon Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How often do we give thought to the person and the character of the Father, the person and the character of the Son, the person and the character of the Spirit in addition to their work? What's our Bible reading like? Are we following a checklist and just ticking off daily? Yes, I've read the Bible. Or actually, are we having a relationship in the moment of reading? Are we having a relationship with God through him speaking to us, even, dear friend, as he's speaking to us now? What about our fellowship? Our fellowship with each other? Is it overtly Christian? Is it overtly and obviously Christian? Or do the things of the world crowd out Christ? You know, the world can have a great time as well. Is our fellowship centered upon the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit? So I want to say to us, friends, when we think about loving God, yes, we should think about our duties. But we ought to think of love-filled and love motivated duties we think not that we're coming to a father who sits in heaven and and like a a stern schoolmaster looks us up and down and, and tuts at us and says must try harder must try harder that's not god that's not god at all When we come to think about our love for God, we're coming to a father who has loved us to the point he sent his only son to die for us. Relationship established. We don't establish the relationship. He has already established it. It's in that context that our love for God will flourish. Obedience is very important in this matter. But it's not of first importance. God establishing relationship with his children, that is of first importance. Our Lord tells us that very truth. If you love me, keep my commandments. One is causal, the other is a product. And just in case you don't know which one is which, the product is keep my commandments. 
Obedience out of love is a true mark of a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not trying to work our way into a relationship by obedience. We're not trying to say, well, if I could love God more and and do this and do this and do this. Some of us might need to think like that, mind you, but that's not the principal work here tonight. We already have a relationship of love with God. He loves us. We are to love him. And we're to love a person. The Father is truly the Father. The Son is truly the Son. The Spirit is truly the Spirit. We have a relationship with each one of them. We have a relationship with the One. Christianity is about relationship. God calling his children under himself. When you do your duties out of love, that's spiriting. It's the opposite of dispiriting. When we try and do our duties to get into that relationship, that's just dispiriting. It's not what scripture teaches. But to do our duties out of love for God, that is spiriting. It's to commune with God. It's profoundly pleasing to God and profoundly pleasing to us. To love and enjoy God is to find deepest satisfaction in him. And we do so by faith. And we do so by obedience in all scenes of life. Whatever providence is upon us, in all worship moments of life, we love God because he has loved us. And if we love God, we will also love the brethren. The godly person loves the brethren, finally. Love one another as I have loved you, says Christ. Love one another as I have loved you. The direct implication of Christ's love for his brethren is that we should love the brethren. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Notice this is the commandment of Christ. This is my commandment. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not best working practices. It's a commandment. And it's a commandment that he gives not to servants or slaves. Verse 15 of our passage before us. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I have called you friends. The testimony of scriptures we saw two weeks back, I think, or last week, is that he also calls us his brethren. The Christian, then, is a friend and brother or sister of Christ. Think on that. A friend of the Savior, a brother of the King. A sister of the Prince of Peace. That immediately removes the Christian out of the realm of employees or slaves or debtors trying to pay off a debt or earning their way into the good books of the king. 
Think on that. It removes us from that realm and puts us in the realm of family and friends. The relationship is already established. We don't need to keep trying to reestablish the relationship by things that we do. No, he's brought us into his family. His kingdom is also his family. He'll make us sit as princes and princesses in the world to come, crowning us with glory. That's what he's done for us. Because we are to love each other as he has loved us. How has he loved us? Verse 13, greater love hath no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's the manner of Christian love. Because it was the manner of Christ's love. He laid down his life for his friends. Uh, Dear friend, I hope you're a friend of Christ tonight. Young or old, I hope you're a friend of Christ. That you've been washed in the blood of the Savior. That, That he is one who you love, who you trust, who you've embraced for the forgiveness of your own personal sins if not you're on the other side of the of of this divide you're not a friend of christ you're an enemy and there's an urgency upon your life to accept christ to become his friend because he gave his life for his friends there's no greater love than this a love which sacrifices self no greater love than to lay down one's life, one's priorities, one's demands, one's expectations for the sake of those about us. You see our Lord's point? As he gave up himself because of love, we ought to do likewise. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. To be a friend of Christ is to live like Christ. You are my friends if you do what I command you. The godly man, the godly woman, the godly child must love in this fashion that we are prepared to give up. Not just all the things of this world, we must be prepared to give up our own life. To follow Christ, to love the brethren. And the highest debt that we owe in that sense, laying down our life, the highest love we owe, entails, of course, every lower sacrifice, every lesser sacrifice of love. So let's ask the question, friends, as we begin to wrap this up What are you prepared to do in love for the brethren? What are you prepared to do? Think about this in a broad sense. Few of us are actually going to be called to lay down our physical lives for our friends. Might happen, but few of us probably. Uh, So we're talking about laying down other things apart from our physical lives, which will be a sign that we love those about us. Are you prepared to lay down grudges that you've been nursing for years and years? 
perhaps. Are you prepared to lay down your opinions for the sake of peace with your brethren? Are you prepared to bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters? And I don't mean give them counsel and advice that you think is right. Are you prepared to bear their burden? Are you prepared to put yourself out for the needs of those around you? Are you prepared to disciple yourself in those areas of sin and weakness that you generally keep hidden, but the effects can't be hidden from the world? They'll come out somehow, somewhere. Are you prepared to disciple yourself, to love those about you sufficiently to say, I will put this to death in my life? Are you prepared to count the cost in your families? Heads of households, your great calling in life is not to raise young men who can shoot guns or young women who can bake cakes. But those that love the Lord. Now granted, you can't make them love the Lord. But are you doing everything in your power, out of love? Are you willing to sacrifice what the world says you should be doing? Are you even willing to sacrifice what your family says you should be doing for conformity to the will of God? Are we prepared to put hour upon hour upon hour of training in our own lives and in the lives of our families and children because we love them and God calls us to that? Friends, we could go on with this list. I'm sure you can fill in the blanks yourself. Love is putting the needs of others before self. Love is those around us increasing that we might decrease. Friends, love for brethren and love for God are really test cases of your Christian faith. If one or t'other is absent, so too is saving faith. If love for God is absent, no matter how much we protest love for brethren, there's no saving faith. And likewise, if there's no love for brethren but a supposed love for God, there is no saving faith. No, we love God and we love each other because God has loved us. And the manner in which we are to love each other is the manner that God has loved us. We are to strive then for this kind of love. But to strive for this love for God, to enjoy him in all that we do, to enjoy each other for all that we are in Christ. Because then we begin to see God in all his beauty and see each other in all our beauty instead of the stains of sin that we so easily see. Listen to Thomas Watson. He says this, let us test our godliness by this touchstone. Do we love God? Is he our treasure and center? Can we with David call God our joy? Yes, our exceeding joy, Psalm 43. Do we delight in drawing near to him and come before his presence with singing? Do we love him for his beauty more than we love him for his jewels? May God grant each one of us grace to love him and to love each other. Let's pray.
Lord, how we have failed you so greatly. And yet with you is plenteous forgiveness. You are not short on mercy or compassion or tenderness towards us. And so we come before you with repentance, almighty God. Because we have not lived and loved as we ought. And yet help us, Lord, even through this very night, to find enjoyment and fulfillment in you. That we, your children, might rejoice in who you are. And we might rejoice in each other for who we are in Christ. Lord, be pleased to work in our hearts that that love might be kindled greatly. We might serve you and honour you and bring glory to your great name. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.